can use me as an example for a candy addiction. You are listening to a production of the Toll Network, home of biting analysis. I am Matthew, an Ultraman noob, and I'm here to discuss SSSS.Gridman. This is going Ultra 6, Twisted Hearts. Uh, overall thoughts on Episode 6, Contact. So I'm going to say I just finished watching this. Um, actually, that's not true. I, fin- I finished watching this, and then I ran over to Capes and Cool Scarves to check out, um, to skim um, the uh, the recap and the analysis. Uh, I didn't want to read too much into the analysis and have it color what I have to say here because that's not cool. That would be like stealing, you know. Um, but one key thing I wanted to get was the name of the uh, girl kaiju that uh, – Hibiki ended up uh, hanging out with, and um, anyway, so her name is, well, and this is the thing, uh, I speak a little bit of Spanish, especially at work, uh, so the double L should sound like a Y, except this is from Japan, so who knows if it's supposed to be an L sound or, or an R sound, I would think the double L would mean it's more of an L sound than an R sound, so uh, the kaiju girl that we meet uh, is Anosias 2, that's how um, apparently she's credited, uh, I, and I didn't read the credits, so I don't know. Um, and then, uh, and, well, anyway, and then Auntie and Akane are, uh, um, I guess the three focal points I want to discuss in this episode. So, um, uh, one thing I want to mention is that Akane and, uh, Utsumi are having this question. So, well, I guess I want to back up first. Uh, l- l- let me go, let me go, let me pause my immediate afterthoughts and go through my little, uh, three-step formula thing. So on a scale of terrible to great, I this was a really good episode. Um, overall, the story, this episode was very intriguing. Um, and on the setting, I, I guess I made the uh, on the setting um, category to talk about after seeing the first episode and being impacted, perhaps on a subconscious level, by how strong the setting was for the show. That is to say, I wouldn't have created the section if I wasn't stirred by something that I saw. And uh, the setting is vital, um, it turns out. And um, yeah, the whole um, whatever, Tsuchidai City or whatever it's called, um, like is super important. And it's super important for uh, interesting plot reasons, which is basically that it's a Akane city that she gets to control as like a god there. And, uh, or demigod, whatever, goddess, um, which would make sense that Utsumi's so interested in her and that she's, you know, got the full package. Um, which I guess I don't think I've talked about this. I know there was the fan service episode last time, but, um, uh, in my personal life, my wife is, uh, well, she, I know this is closing too much. She's had home births. Um, so we've done a lot of research and looking into, um, you know, natural births and, and, uh, breastfeeding in the traditional ways that different, uh, peoples have done it over the years. And, uh, like birth was ruined in the United States to some extent. Um, especially there was ostracizing, like the, the male medical community, uh, the OBGYNs ended up like marginalizing and oppressing, uh, like literally not, uh, well, anyway, in, in a very real and tangible way. Um, the older immigrant women midwives, there were these, uh, black women, especially they were called granny midwives. Um, and they would come and help women, uh, get through their births in a, a really good, healthy, holistic way. Um, they had very low, um, maternal death rates. Uh, even there were doctors, hold on. Okay. The, there was the guy with the hand washing where there was a guy who he was a, you know, 
male medical birth had given rise and um, he would uh, wash his hands and stuff and have his stuff sterilized and people would choose to go to him uh, as opposed to go to the other uh, half other wing of the hospital um, where women were dying so like women could sense that uh, or could see the outcome and, and would choose to go with the other uh, the better birth outcomes um, but you also had a point I, this would have been prior to it where uh, most women use midwives at some point it became unfashionable uh, literally unfashionable to uh, use a midwife and it became more fashionable to either get your twilight sleep where they drug you and knock you out basically to have birth um, or to you know give labor or whatever give birth um, or you know the rise of uh, well anyway different things but the point is that in me and my wife doing research and becoming familiar with um, midwifery and uh, its roots it's it's a uh, well it's ancient roots it's it's human like at the base of civilization roots um, you know we kind of stumbled across stuff about fertility goddesses and things like that and um, uh, especially in reading some of the books books about uh, birth and just kind of its history and the history of midwifery and uh, fertility goddesses um, whether they be uh, I- idols of them or, or statues or whatever um, effigies I guess could be positive um, of them would have very large breasts um, because when a mother gives birth she nurses her children and they would I think a lot of them would also have like very wide hips as well um, hips or buttocks because like you know that's all <laughs> the whole uh, th- those regions are important for, I guess, and I think actually it's a myth that if you're narrow hip that you have a harder time giving birth, but you know, I don't remember. Um, anyway, uh, but Akane Shinjo has very large breasts and, uh, I believe part of that is a callous maneuver on Trigger's part to make her more popular with certain members of the fan base. But I also wonder if some of that has anything to do with her being this goddess, uh, who creates this world, or at least this part of the world, this city, and uh, does stuff there, or, you know, like, has control over life and death and over creation and destruction. Um, I almost wonder if that's a nod to that. And uh, anyway, kind of interesting. Um, so anyway, that's what I have to say. Now uh, I'm going to go into uh, really applying uh, what happened in the episode to uh, kind of work out maybe, I don't know, a theme or, or something, because... Uh, it was pretty interesting. So, um, so with Anosius, I'm going to say Anosius. Anosius too, um, she encounters Hibiki. Uh, I don't remember where Hibiki is. Uh, she just kind of like comes up on him. Oh, in like a, an alley or something. And um, starts talking to him and like, hey, I'm a kaiju. And he's like, no, you can't be. You're too small. She grows. And then um, they start hanging out. And uh, it's interesting. She has this bag of money. <laughs> She's got like a bunch of yen coins. I, I don't know the real de- denominations, but um, anyway. So she's got money, a bag. Uh, I mean, she looks like she's homeless, like she's a beggar, uh, perhaps. Um, so maybe people have given her money, and I don't know if kaiju need to eat, how often they need to eat. Auntie seems hungry a lot of the time, but um, I don't think we get to see Anasias 2 eating at all. She's just, uh, I think she's just feeding Hibiki, and he feels uncomfortable because she looks like she's homeless and he well he realizes that she's a kaiju but he can see the condition of her being 
like a homeless or, or like a like a street person. I'm, I'm not trying to be pejorative or, or funny at all. Um, and I think he's sensitive to that, and uh, it makes him feel uncomfortable, probably for various reasons. But one, because like he's taking food from this person who he might be wondering, like, well, maybe they don't have food, and you know, maybe they're struggling. And uh, you know, he he's a sweet guy, and maybe that's just me projecting onto to his reaction. I don't know. Anyway, so she's treating him kindly. Um, she uh, gives him the big info dump that, you know, Akane Shinjo is this goddess or god, whatever, and she um, has power over the city that uh, she uses kaiju to not only destroy it, but to rebuild it. Um, we see a kaiju explicitly, like, pouring fog out of its shoulders, uh, and this fog envelops uh, the city, and um, she says that there's nothing outside of the city. So... Is it the case that it's like the Truman Show or something like that where everybody lives their lives within this place and nobody really exits and, uh, you know, the fog there keeps them from seeing the outside world uh, that doesn't exist? Um, or maybe the fog makes the, the background for the projection that Akane puts on it so it looks like there's an outside world. Um, and when people leave for work or for travel or whatever... Uh, it they get knocked out and then they're just taken to a different part of the simulation. Like, is that how it works, um, or whatever it is? You know, does she recreate the world with the, uh, or the city to you know be a beach and whatnot? Like, how does that all work? I, it's it's crazy to get your head around. Um, so anyway, so Anastasia uh, two uh, provides that information for him, and then at the end when they're parting, when she talks to him about this uh, spirit of music, which I, I'm not gonna touch that because, you know, Pre did uh, already, and I, I, you know, I, I'm just mentioning that she mentions that, and then I'll move on, um, and it's interesting because the music is able to break through the fog, um, and like, I don't know what that's about, we'll see where that develops, um, I noticed something, I think, uh, well, let me see, on, on the blog, I noticed there's a mention of... Uh, so in the screen grabs, there's this mention of some of the monsters. Yeah, you know what? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do it. I'm just gonna leave it. Um, uh, anyway, so she thanks, um, the kaiju thanks, uh, Hibiki at the end when she, um, is departing from him. Um, oh, and, and she says she's this kaiju that's always lived there. Um, so that's kind of interesting. Like, what does that mean? Are they operating in some ephemeral... Uh, not real space, like Mementos in Persona 5, like the collective unconscious or something like that. Um, I don't know. But anyway, uh, so she mentioned she's this kaiju that's been there since forever. And um, that she has to thank Yuta's predecessor. So, like, is that a direct nod to uh, the original Gridman? Um, you know, the Tokusatsu series from 1993? It seems like it might be. Um and it's funny because he says something to her like, like, I'm sorry, I wish I could remember you. Because she's like, don't you recognize me? Um, and he's apologizing to her for not uh, remembering her and for not knowing what he did for her. And she's like, look, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Um, so anyway, that's all interesting. Um, now I want to talk about what happened with Auntie. So um, there's this weird thing about how or there's uh, kind of a subtext to or I don't know, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, an interesting aspect of the episode that I noticed is that our main human Gridman Alliance folks, because I, I don't know how to qualify the Neon Genesis 
junior high folks, um, except for that. Because um, they look like they range from like 8 years old or 12 years old to like 40. So, or like 30 with max. I don't know. Anyway. Um, and they're supposed to be junior high or whatever. Uh, it's just, that's funny. It's a great gag. I think it's a great gag to call them that because they look so disparate in age. Anyway. Um, so, you know, our main Gridman Alliance people, Utsumi, um, well, I put him first, Yuta and Rika, uh, are all separated throughout the episode. And them being separated uh, allows for the interaction between Hibiki and uh, NSCS2, uh, between Rika and Auntie, which I'll talk about next, and with uh, Utsumi and uh, Akane. And uh, I just thought that was really interesting because, especially because in the conversation with uh, Akane and Utsumi, they mentioned that there's the rare episode of uh, Ultraman, even though they don't directly say Ultraman, where there is no kaiju. And, you know, those are okay, but for the most part, the kaiju should definitely be front and center. And it's funny because that's, uh, you know, a little wink and nod at what's actually happening uh, in this episode. I thought that was fun. Um, so anyway, moving on to Rika and Auntie. Uh, so once again, Rika sees Auntie, and um, <laughs> much like uh, Yuta noticed that uh, NSCS2 smelled, um, she noticed that uh, Auntie smelled, and she offered him, um, like she wanted to take care of him. She, out of the goodness of her heart and her genuine concern for him, you know, she's talking to him, she's feeding him, um, which again, you've got this, you know, connection. These people meet uh, suddenly, um, you know, they're human, they're kaiju. Uh, it's almost an inversion where um, NSCS2 is giving all this stuff to Hibiki and uh, helping him and showing him kindness and care. And at the same time, Rika is showing kindness and care to Auntie, even going to the point of, I think he's supposed to be a couple years younger than him, and I don't know how normal this sort of thing would be, but, like, she bathes him. She, she's washing his hair, and she's looks like she's cleaning his body, too, and she seems a little uncomfortable, like she's blushing at one point while doing it. And I don't think it's from the heat of the bathroom, just, you know, it's a... You've got a naked boy in your, your um, in your bathroom while your mom's away and you're washing him. Like, uh, I don't think this is something she does all the time. Um, but, uh, you know, it's not played sexually or anything like that. And uh, it just seemed like an offer of kindness and care. And um, anyway, uh, it's kind of beautiful how, uh, like, giving and uh, caring um, they've shown Rika to be because, you know, she reached out to Auntie initially and, um, and it was just very sweet and she's doing it again and she's going, you know, a step further. Um, and that's really cool to see. Um, and she has no ulterior motive. She just wants to take care of him. And it's funny. She kind of senses that his situation is complicated and she's, she asks like, that's, that's the case, right? Um, almost as if to say like, look, you don't have to explain everything if you don't want to, um, like, it's okay. I'm here to help you and, or like, I'm offering you my assistance. I'm not demanding anything of you. And, uh, I thought that was really, really lovely. Um, and it's, uh, it's funny that like, you know, she would genuinely want to help him, but he's, um, he's just kind of pausing in his, uh, in his search for Hibiki and letting her help him because he's hungry and, and, and whatnot. And he's allowing her to show him kindness, kind of like he allowed, uh, Akane to, um, direct him and, and push him where she wanted to. But, uh, the difference of course, is that, um, <clears throat> while Rika is entirely genuine in how she approaches, uh, auntie, someone who she doesn't know, um, Akane Shinjo is, uh, completely 
ingenuine and insincere with her um, with her actions. Uh, and I guess I'll just use that to transition into talking about Shinjo, Shinjo and Utsumi. Um, so, uh, before I go there, uh, a quick interjection. I fully expected um, Auntie and Rika to be going to a public bathhouse, because why wouldn't she do that? But, um, it, I mean, the fact that she didn't uh, makes it even more impactful what she did do. Shinjo finds, <laughs> you know, Auntie's at her door, and she basically tells him, look, go find, you know, this kid, uh, Yuta Hibiki. Go kill him. He's Gridman. He will be. He turns into Gridman. And uh, then she goes off, and uh, she still wants to know what is up with uh, Hibiki. So she uses Utsumi, just like she approached uh, Yuta in the second episode, I think, or maybe, yeah, it was the second episode, um, and asks for him to have lunch with her, she goes uh, and meets Utsumi at a store he's hanging out at. And uh, Shinjo uses the fact that she's into kaiju too and that he's looking at a kaiju magazine to uh, bridge the gap between them. I'm sure she can tell that he's interested in her anyway, but the fact that uh, he's into kaiju and so is she, it, it just you know, it's, it makes it a little easier. Maybe it even makes it more tolerable for him to be talking to him because I don't know how attractive Utsumi's supposed to be, but she's supposed to be uh, very attractive. And uh, if he's out of her league but he's into kaiju, you know, that would make it a little easier for her to uh, stomach talking to him. She doesn't seem, well, obviously she's not a nice person um, or, you know, she's being warped into being an uh, unkind, cruel person, um, which that's something we'll get into in a minute. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that was interesting to hear them talk about kaiju. Um, and then uh, it was interesting to see Utsumi's response when she starts asking about Hibiki. And he's like, what, what brought this on all of a sudden? And um, she mm, kind of feigns concern, but she does it in this really weird way. Like, she falls flat. I almost expected for her to uh, escalate her questions. Like, the way she was being repetitive was weird, but I almost expected her to escalate and explode um, on him. And uh, she basically just drops it and leaves. Um, so I thought that was, was interesting. Um Oh, you know, something I had meant to mention before, and I think I'd done, like, a screen grab of it, but never really used it, I don't think, is that um, her phone screen is really broken. And uh, I know plenty of people who aren't uh, crazy and who aren't... Sorry. I know plenty of people who aren't trying to uh, murder other people with their kaiju um, who have cracked phone screens, uh, but her glasses are cracked, her phone screen is cracked, um, in some way she's very broken or has no issue with brokenness and maybe that's because even um maybe it's because everything's kind of broken to her uh because even uh you know she's using kaiju like we saw in that simulation that uh Ancelis too uh put up for us um that uh she destroys things with kaiju and she rebuilds with kaiju so uh Akane giveth and Akane taketh away through her kaiju and um it was almost a good episode title, um, maybe for the last one. But uh, yeah, she—I uh, don't know. Like things being broken doesn't matter to her, and uh, it's just interesting because you would think she'd want things to be whole, um, and maybe that cracked, broken uh, reflection of things, or you know, uh, her holding on to things like that, um, is a reflection of 
how broken and cracked she is. And I kind of already talked about her being broken in episode two when she was revealed to be the kaiju maker and, and all that stuff. So uh, I won't belabor that point. Um, something, though, that uh, um, Anosius Sue says to Hibiki is that um, Alexis is using her. And uh, um, Alexis, or in talking about Alexis, uh, he says, like, what do you mean this thing's from the outside? It's an, it's an alien? So uh, it just kind of seemed funny to me that an alien would be controlling a, a goddess or a demigod or whatever. And um, I just thought that was a really curious direction for them to go. And I wonder if it's going to be that simple that an alien is manipulating and controlling a goddess and, like, warping her to uh, some end that is his own. And, uh, you know, what? I'm okay with, uh, this not all being a computer simulation, um, cause I almost think it would be more interesting if she's a literal goddess, um, you know, well, I come from Persona, uh, three and four, uh, enjoyment, so I'm very comfortable with the goddess interacting in the world, um, and, uh, anyway, you know, <laughs> basically in these games you, uh, you go and defeat God, um, which I'm fine with, uh. And I would be totally comfortable if a uh, computer, a, a boy in his computer program, uh, and his friends, of course, were able to defeat uh, a goddess and her alien overlord who was manipulating her. Like that's not mix mixing genres too much for me or anything like that. Um, it's kind of weird and quirky, and it's uh, I don't know. It kind of reminds me of uh, I don't know the dumb concept of like you know pirates versus ninjas, who's gonna win, and you know zombies versus uh, you know vampires or mummies or like that kind of thing like uh you know clashing these genres together um i'm fine with that so anyway um just a few things uh mrs takarada i don't know what to call her takarada san can you use san for a woman like that the same you can for a man i don't know i don't know japanese um i'm not that kind of weeb um <laughs> sorry uh but um i would love to know actually so i can be that kind of weeb uh anyway uh she, uh, just her relationship with the, um, the Neon Genesis junior high kids, students, let's say, uh, is funny. Um, and she says to the attractive one, uh, as she calls him, uh, something about like, what do you mean you're on standby? You're always standing by. You guys are never, you know, off doing something. You're always here. Um, and it's kind of like a fun, uh, like, she doesn't mind these people being here. It, you know, they made her buy junk back from them uh, and stuff. So it's like, even if they're there every day having coffee and food and whatever, like, how much money is she making off of them? It's just weird that she's, like, welcomed these interlopers into her home or her business or whatever, her, her home business. Um, and it's uh, it's really cute. And, you know, something about her. So, confession. Uh, fun of me. Well, hmm. I'll just say this. I watched the... Uh, uh, the Japanese audio with English subtitles. It was interesting, interesting experience. Uh, for some reason, her, I think her singular orange white earring with the orange dot on it, it really reminds me of Yurusen. And uh, I should probably look it up and see if she voiced Yurusen at all, uh, or was the voice actress for Yurusen um, from Kamen Rider Ghost, because she reminds me of Yurusen for some reason, and uh, that kind of tickles me. Uh, something else I noticed um, watching today is that in the OP, Akane is on the other side of a wall in the classroom or like a bookshelf kind of thing. And she's, it's like dark over there and she's alone and everybody else is kind of in the light. And uh, it's another interesting contrast. Oh, and another thing is Hibiki says he thinks he knows what he has to do, like what his calling or mission is. And I wonder if it's going to be to reach out to uh, Shinjo and like 
help her. Or you either save her from Alexis or, like, help wake her up. Um, possibly with music? Um, to help wake her up and, uh, like, get her to be a good goddess again or whatever. Um, that would be cool. I think the best way would be for him to do something that enables her to uh, regain her agency and act in the world as she wants to um because yeah her want and destruction right now is apparently what she wants but it's not good right i mean trigger can't be saying that okay i need to wrap up now because this i'm approaching exceeding the runtime of the episode and that's not good uh so yes uh the fight scene between auntie and max and caliber was beautiful um i liked the thing about um the <laughs> genesis junior high folks uh like following around uh utsumi rika and uh and hibiki i thought that was pretty interesting um who knows where that's gonna go or like really what the purpose was um but obviously they were able to save hibiki and stuff and uh, it was interesting that they didn't even realize that anti could be a kaiju um so like there's stuff that they don't know about and that's really exciting because uh, they have more knowledge about the world than hibiki rika and the others or in utsumi um the others. <laughs> I should just start calling him the other. Should be Hibiki, uh, Rika, and the other. Uh, anyway, so uh, yeah, the animation was beautiful in that fight scene. It looked super cool, super interesting, uh, lots of fun. Um, yeah, it was. I really enjoyed this episode. It was really, really good. Um, silly stuff. I don't know if I have anything to say for that. So anyway, that's all for now. Please send in your questions and comments. If you know more about Ultraman, the original Gridman or Super Samurai Cyber Squad, uh, and you would like to share, feel free to do so. And now, I leave you with the immortal words of Samurai Caliber. Do what you can do. Always. Mm-hmm.